Morning. Hey, I've got a question. What stops us from being who God has called us to be? I want some. I want some feedback. Tell me. What? Uh, what? Ourselves. What about ourselves? I agree with you 100%. What about ourselves stops us from being who God has called us to be? Fear. Ugh. This is going exactly the way the last service went, which is, you're both correct. So, fear of what? Self, man, failure. All fears we contend with. Yeah, okay. And, you know, we can go on and on, but I think they probably encompass the biggest points. I want to talk about developing a consistent faith, because how many of you know that when life goes like this, your faith... Or your thankfulness can, can ride those waves. You know, but, it, but it doesn't have to, and we know that. And we know plenty of these verses in Scripture that talk about God being consistent, and yet we still tend to ride these waves. And ourselves get in the way. So I want to talk about developing a consistent faith and not letting, uh, not letting ourselves get in the way of ourselves, or getting in the way of Jesus, I should actually say. You know, God's word is absolutely true. We can trust it uh, so much more than, than I can understand how to trust it. And, you know, it's not true because it's written in this book. God's word is true because he said it. And it's written in this book to know what he said. So I can trust it because I know that he said it. Just because it's in a book doesn't mean anything. But God has said it, therefore it is true. And I can trust God's unchanging nature. Now, uh, I've asked uh, Pastor Micah and, and my wife Hannah to hand out any uh, to hand out a list of scriptures to people that that uh, may want them, or, or Micah's just kind of going around handing them to everyone, which is fantastic. Thank you. That's actually better. It's not just so that look, we're going to do some biblical gymnastics today, and uh, but it's not just so that you can follow along. It's so that you can sort of keep them in your Bible and. Think about it when you go home and you know, when you open your Bible, you're looking at these things and you can go to these scriptures and meditate over them because I want to talk about the faithfulness of God among some other things and just how unchanging he is and how we can trust in that and how that's a, a real anchor for the waves of life. And, and it's an anchor for our faith. And so I'm going to ask you all to go to Hebrews chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your phones... Um, and, and a Bible app, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll be going to verses 11 and 12, but while you're going there, I'm going to go to 2 Peter, and then I'm going to flick over and join you guys. So Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. But right now, I'm just going to read from 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So it's through the promises that we become partakers of the divine nature. Or shall I say, it's through the promises that we walk like Jesus. Now, it's not all about the promises. We'll get into that. But Jesus walked in the promises of God. He knew them very well. He was able to walk in them consistently, no matter what came his way. And we're to do the same. We're to walk 
in the promises. So how do we successfully do that? Now, Hebrews chapter 6, 11 to 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Faith and patience, two very important words. Now, patience is not a, just a fruit of the Spirit. It's a building block to our faith. And I would say that patience is the, the difference between a mature and an immature faith. You can't develop a good faith without patience. It's impossible. I grew up in a Pente church. This one. It is a good church. But sometimes I get a little bit Pente in probably a, a negative way where I just want it to happen instantly. And, you know, it's not just a Pente thing. It's, it's kind of the society we live in. Like, we live in a microwave, fast food society. Everything's got to happen instantly. And sometimes we turn our faith into a fast food faith that just gets delivered on Uber Eats the moment we name it and claim it. But when I speak something in faith, you know, the Bible says, ask and you will receive. It's yours. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. When I speak a word in faith, we've been talking about seeds a lot lately. A seed goes into the ground. A mustard seed or, or a tiny little seed. But what happens then? I've got to wait for it to grow. I've got to water it. I've got to take care of it. I've got to, you know, it's got to get sun and, and water. And it's just got to, I've got to wait for it. It's got to got to become strong it's got to put its roots down it's going to take a little while before it bears fruit but it's there it's happening and sometimes we just want to say in the name of jesus and make something happen and it doesn't happen straight away because you know what it hasn't cultivated inside us we cannot develop a good faith without patience it's just part of the journey now when i'm talking about faith what am i talking about i'm talking about this heavenly perspective that it's like you got the full assurance you know that what god says is true no matter what and all of this opposition is coming at you and it doesn't matter because you see god and you know what god i know you and i trust you no matter what and i trust you because i know you and i know that you are trustworthy and what you, says, what you say comes true. And you've given me a promise. So I know it's going to roll out. I know it's going to happen. It doesn't matter what the devil or the world or people throw at me. It is going to happen according to your word. Because this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's not your five senses. It's not what I see. It's not what I touch. It's not what I hear or taste or smell. We, 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 we put our five senses into faith and think that it's going to work. Because the things of this world can be so overwhelming, right? It's what I see happening in front of me can be mountainous. Thank God there's a scripture on that. But my faith doesn't appeal to my five senses. It's my sixth sense. And it's, it's not subject to any of the garbage that tries to get in the way of 
with me and Jesus. That faith has overcome the world. And we read that in the Bible. But yet we still do this. <laughs> so I want to talk about this today. I want to, oh, I want to tackle it head on. I'm, I was sitting down a lot in the first one. I was very calm. But this one I'm kind of like, I just want to break something. <laughs> okay. First of all, let's talk about an example of really awesome faith. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. Just start from verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. God, we don't need to do that anymore. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. I'm actually going to stop there at that. Random verse. Now, I only learned this two weeks ago. I don't remember who brought it up with me. Maybe it was you, John. I'm not sure. But it says right there, when evening fell. That means night came. When God showed Abram the stars, it wasn't nighttime. It was daytime. <laughs> it was daytime. The sky was blue. He couldn't see a single star. When I realized that, I went, wow. That's such a special faith that God is teaching Abraham. Go outside, Abram. Look at the stars. Oh, I can't see a single one, but you know what? I've seen them thousands of times. I know they're there. I just can't see them. Oh, that's my children. They're there. I just can't see them yet. I didn't even have a single child yet, but I know they're all there. That was the start of a real faith journey for Abram. Let's go across to chapter 17. This is years later. They've been going like this in their faith, up and down according to the motions and whatever emotions come. And you know, his, his wife Sarai has said, have a, have a son with my maidservant Hagar. That's what they did. That was, that was custom if, if the wife was barren and and, and so he does, and, and Ishmael is born, but God says, no, 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 no. There's going to be a son of promise. You and Sarah told you. In chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you 
and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. This is a past tense promise. I've done it. He says that to Abraham. Even though Isaac still is not born when Abraham now is 99 years old. And he concretes that covenant with Abraham so much that he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, saying, it's done. You may as well live like it. You're already a father of a multitude. Already. Whenever you look at the promises in the Old Testament, they're past tense. All of them. Why? Because God has already done it. If God has said it, it's going to happen. It's just got to roll out. Once he says it, it's reality. He can't take back his words. If he said it, it's true. I've been thinking about this the last couple of weeks, and I did mention it in church a couple of weeks ago. People say to me, you know, about, you know, let's just say whatever it is, something in particular. Well, is it the will of God? Well, if it's written here, if it's a promise, well, then yes, it is the will of God because it's the will of God to keep his promises. He can't deny his promises. Once he said it, you may as well thank God for it because it's going to happen. It's going to roll out. It's already happened. It's reality because he said it. We've got plenty of scriptures to say that God is true and that he never changes. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should change his mind, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Have I not spoken and will it not come to pass? Have I not declared it and it will not be fulfilled? Like, who do you think I am, people? You think I'm like you? <laughs> Gee, uh, Hebrews 13, 8. Not 13, 8. 13. What is it? It is 8. 13, 8. We all know that one. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. Come on. Isaiah 40, verse 8. I really love this one. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands Forever. Malachi 3, 6, just in case all of those others are not clear enough. I, the Lord, do not change. That is why you, O Israel, are not consumed. <laughs> and yet, our faith goes like this. Even after reading and hearing those words, like most of us in here have read all those scriptures. Come on, how much do we get in the way, right? Okay. Let's go back to Hebrews. I should have told you to keep your finger in there. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. You know, we can talk about all the examples of where God is faithful, but I don't want to just talk about an example of God's faithfulness. We've been we'll be talking forever. But I want to talk about why all those examples are the way they are. Let's get to the heart of the matter right now. Hebrews 4 verse 3. 
For we who have believed enter that rest, as he, is a, as he has, has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about the Israelites who were disobedient no matter what. This next bit, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now this one really stirred me up, this scripture right here. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back to Genesis and I'm going to have a look. Let's go back to Genesis and we'll go to chapter 2. So creation week has happened. God has spent six days making the universe and everything in it. And then it says in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, Therefore the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now in times past when I've read that I thought, well, God has rested from making everything. It's a big job. Like it, it took me 18 months to make a shoe rack. <laughs> Out of pallet wood. It, got, it took God six days to make the universe. And, uh, and then I thought, righto, he rests on Monday and then gets back to work on Tuesday. That's what I thought. I've thought that my whole life, but you know what? Hebrews 4, 3 and 4 doesn't say that. It says, no, he rested from all his work and he didn't go back to work. Like it's, it's done. It's all done. You know, when, when a bunch of tradies build a house and you know, all the plumbers come along and the plasterers and everybody takes a hand in doing all that stuff. They build the house and then some people buy it and move into it. Like all the tradies, they have nothing to do with those people living in the house then. Like anything that happens in the house is none of their business. It's just however those people live and whatever they choose to do and whatever happens in that house happens in that house. Tradies work is done. But when it comes to God, when he builds a house, so let's just say when he builds the universe, when he built the framework of the universe, God's, God didn't disinvolve himself when he built the framework, but everything that was going to happen within that framework has already been decided according to his will. So anything that's going on on the earth, it's just rolling out according to God's plan. Now, he still takes our free will into account and ties our free will in with uh, his will. But he, fr fr from, from the moment he created the framework of the universe, his will was decided. I mean, he's already thought about it previously before he's made it, but once he's... Once he's made the universe, that's it. It's just everything is going to happen according to his word. And he's still involved in the entire process, but he's not at work. He's doing this from a position of rest. And so God has rested from all his work, and anything that happens just needs to roll out. Which is why we can look at all the promises in the Old Testament and see them in past tense. Even though they're prophetic words, they're things to come, they're still written in past tense. But that makes sense if God's work has been finished from the foundation of creation. I think of verses like, I'm going to be talking a bit about healing today, and it's not because healing is the most amazing promise. It's just one of 7,000 that's given in the Bible. It's just one one small promise, but it's just part of the journey that God's got me on, so that'll kind of be my filter in the way I talk. But whatever promises that God has spoken to you about, you can 
you can think about these things. I think of verses like Isaiah 54, verse 3, where it talks about he, he took up our infirmities and bore our illnesses. And then it's fulfilled in Matthew 8, 17, where he's fulfilled the words of the prophet Isaiah. He carried our infirmities and bore our illnesses or our diseases. And I think Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross yet, which is where all that stuff happens, right? But it's getting fulfilled here. But if his works are finished from the foundation of creation, it can be finished there. But it gets rolled out at the cross, available for everybody. We have access to all of these promises in Christ. Every single one. Jesus walked in them. When he said, it's finished at the cross, he meant it is. It's just not God's work is done. That was gone thousands of years ago. But now it is rolled out for everybody and available to all. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, and that's why it's through him, Jesus, that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who also has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We have been filled with the spirit of Jesus Christ if there's any doubt about that, we can flick across to Colossians chapter 2 and read in verses 9 and 10. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You've been filled with Jesus. That means you've been given the promise of salvation, and therefore from the promise of salvation all the other promises flow. Salvation is the gate that opens the way to every single promise of God. They're yours already. But how do we access those promises? How do we utilize them? How do we... So we know at this stage that if God has said it, it's going to happen. It's true. And he's already declared all of these promises. He said them. Therefore, they are reality. So how do I see this rolled out in my life? They belong to me. They belong to you. You've got Jesus. How do we walk in these and partake in the divine nature? Walk the way Jesus did. A couple of verses before, it says, in chapter, uh, verse 6 in Colossians chapter 2, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Think about when you got saved. Think about when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Not my particular example, because I was seven years old and I kind of don't really re remember much of it. I sort of do. I mean, I was standing in my driveway. I was by myself. There was no emotions or anything. There was, I just... Felt God, and I said, yeah, Lord, I give my life to you right now. And that was that, and then I went to go and, I don't know, throw rocks at magpies or something. <laughs> I don't know. I just did kid things. I, I think that same day I put a rope from that tree to that tree, and I was climbing across it, and then it broke, and I fell and nearly broke my back. But So that was a memorable day. 
But I gave my life to Jesus that day, and I didn't understand all the things I'm talking about now. But if you can remember the day you received Christ, then think back to it. Because we tend to think that when we received Christ, it's, it's, we, we do different things now that we're a Christian to back then. And uh, turning away from sin, yes, and, and uh, embracing you know, a righteous life, yes. But, but we, we tend to have a different approach. What I mean is, when, so when you got saved, right, did you go, <laughs> well, I'll believe it when I see it, God. And then Jesus came to live inside you and fill you up. And then you're like, whoa, this is amazing. Thank you. Like, is that how it happened? Well, that second part, yes, but not that first part. Okay, you didn't say, you can save me when you reveal yourself to me. Thank you very much. I don't, I'm not going to believe in, in you until I see you. Like, like, none of us did that. When you received Christ, it means you heard the good news. The Holy Spirit prompted your heart. And you went, whoa, you've done it. Wow, thank you. Yes, of course I turn away from sin and I, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. That's how it worked. You believed it first that he'd already done it. And then you were thankful for it because he had done it. And you realized there was nothing you could do to earn God's love or, or to earn his salvation. And then you received it because you knew that it was for you. And then you received it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. So why do we think during our Christian walk that we're not going to believe that the promises are true until we see them happen? If God said it, it's true. We thank God for it now. And then it, 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 it happens. I'll just share a little bit of my journey with you for a moment. Actually, let's, before I do that, let's just go to one other scripture. Psalm 100. Go to Psalm 100. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. If I enter his gates without thankfulness and enter his courts without praise and then get a breakthrough, and then walk out thankful, that's not faith. That's just me responding to whatever happens. That's me still riding the motions of life. That's me still appealing to my five senses. It's not faith. It's not patience. It's not thankfulness. Thankfulness opens the gates of heaven over your life. Thankfulness, or real faith, gives thanks before the breakthrough, and it gives thanks no matter what because it believes in God and his promises and knows that it's reality now, and it's not dependent on whether I see it roll out in my life. It's not dependent on whether I see it manifest in front of me. I'm just going to thank God for it because I know that it's true. When Jesus rose from the dead and, and Thomas sees him and, and touches his wounds... And he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says, oh, have you believed me because you've seen me? Blessed are those who don't see and believe. Now I'll share a little bit about my journey. Uh, I got sick about three months ago, right? I, it just really sucked. 
and uh, I, I got covered in hives and I started getting about one to two hours sleep every single night. I was getting up probably having three showers a night just to try and soothe it and, and I was walking into work like a zombie like if I came to work and I even missed a week of church which I, <laughs> I'm never doing that again. And uh, um, it, was, it was really, really horrible. It was like I was doing insulation installing over again, but worse. And, uh, and I was always thanking Jesus, mostly. It was mostly consistent coming out of my mouth, but my heart was not mostly consistent. It was much less. The thankfulness in my heart was not congruent with what was coming out of my mouth. In my heart, it was doing this. Some days, it just really overcome me. And, uh, you know, those thoughts come into your mind like, seriously, God, how long do I need to wait? How long is this going to go on? When is this going to happen? It says it in your word, when am I going to see this take place in my life? We ask those questions in our hearts. And it, it's okay that they come into your heart. Don't condemn yourself when those thoughts come in. Abraham faced those same things, but Romans chapter 4 says he, he didn't let any unbelief let him waver and go down a wrong path. He, he, he always he managed to stick on the right, just keep going forward. And no, no, God said. And it was all, he was having battles in the mind. No, God said. And it was able to refine his faith to the point where no unbelief could get to him. And he was fully convinced that it was just going to happen, even though the situation was impossible. He was 99 years old. Hard enough to walk down the street at 99, let alone have a kid. Oof. Anyway, uh, But when I realized that my thankfulness doesn't need to be determined by whatever's happening to me or however I feel during the day, I can just be thankful that if God made the promise, that's just the way it is. And sooner or later, it's just going to happen. I can be thankful now. And from that moment on, my thankfulness did become much more consistent, but my heart lined up with what I was saying. It wasn't, there was no secret sort of, when's it going to happen, God? There was none of that left. It was just, thank you. And yet I became more zealous in my thankfulness too. And you know, it's sort of like, well, Jamie, I've been battling this for 20 years or something like, when's it going to happen? I don't know when it's going to happen, okay? But I'll tell you what, it'll happen sometime after you stop asking that question. Hey, let's believe God. He's unchanging. And he keeps his word. Please don't say, Lord, if it's your will to, for me to receive breakthrough. If it's a, prom if it's a promise in the word, it's, it's his will. Don't kill your faith by praying, if it's your will, O oh God. You don't get to pray the will of God if you don't know if it's his will. He can throw at you. The will of God, it's the will of God. And it's the greater reality. So 
So thanksgiving. Thanksgiving unlocks the gates of heaven. Let's be thankful. That's what real faith and patience is. Patience is active, first of all, not passive. It's not me sitting on my hands. It's me doing something about it. It can even get aggressive, but it's not putting it, it it's not taking control into my hands. It's an active surrender to Jesus the whole time. And that looks like thankfulness because I know that I've been given everything in Christ. Thankfulness in the face of opposition is probably the greatest expression of faith that you can witness. Uh, but you know, talking about walking in the promises and it's how we partake in the divine nature, but you know, the promises aren't the most important thing. And I, I have idolized the promises of God. I have put my faith in the promises instead of who? The one who gives them. I, I got like a sh short attention span. I'm like a bug, right? I just, I see a light and I'm like, ooh. Uh, promises are, they're the same thing as blessings. They're the same thing. The blessings of God are the promises of God. And, and I, have, I have put my faith in the promises of God and, and I've, I've allowed the promises of God to distract me from who he is. Now, when you think of blessings, they're like, they're like fruits on a tree. Let's just say an apple tree and it's got 7,000 apples on that tree, which is all the blessings of God that the Bible describes. Uh, I wouldn't have all the apples without the apple tree. The apple tree is Jesus. And if I, I I'm, I'm merged with Jesus. He lives in my spirit. That means all the, all the fruits on the tree are mine already. Let's go to Deuteronomy 28. This is the chapter of blessings and curses. And, and I realize that a quarter of the chapter is blessings for obedience and three quarters of the chapter is curses for disobedience. Because wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate that leads to life. Deuteronomy 28, the first couple of verses. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now that verse 2 there, these blessings shall overtake you, or they shall come upon you and overtake you, what sort of language is that? What's something that comes upon you and overtakes you. Yeah, I mean, lots of things. I was pretty vague with that question. I just, I had something in my head. This is sort of the language that we use around sickness. It afflicts itself to us. It's like it just catches us and it's like, darn it, I'm caught. That's what it's like. But in this context, it's used for blessings. Allow me, the, uh, allow me to speak sort of in this language using sort of positive and negative stuff. The, we're born into sin, right? Which means sickness has a legal authority in our life. But we come to Jesus, it doesn't anymore. This is just one example. The blessings of sin suck. Nobody enjoys them. But they're like, sin attracts 
fruits, certain fruits. None of them are good. But being one with Christ, the blessings of God afflict us and overtake us. Kind of like a sickness, but like Jesus' sickness. So I don't need to chase after healing. I don't need to chase after abundance. I don't need to chase after this. I don't need to chase after that. Whatever the promise is, I just need to chase Jesus. And, and, and all those things will overtake me. I won't be able to escape them. The promises are not the prize. They're the overflow. Part of the overflow. The prize is Christ-likeness. That is the most important thing. And you know what? I'm at this stage now where I honestly don't care if I get healed or not. Sounds funny to say. I want to get healed. I want to give glory to God. But I don't really care anymore because the most important thing to me is that Jesus is at work inside me and developing my faith and making me like him. He's working this for my good and for his glory. That's really what matters. And the promise is just overtaking me. Uh, my, probably my most common prayer now, and I've only realized this in the past couple of weeks, but uh, since realizing that, my most common prayer has become, Lord, I, I don't just want your blessings. I want you to work in me the condition that 7,000 blessings would flow from. Because my blessings aren't just for me. They're for everyone around me. I want to share the glory of God with every single person. I want it to take place inside me. I don't need it to take place outside me. I don't care about this body. I mean, I, I love it. God gave it to me. I've got to be a good steward of it and... And you know what? It needs to display the first fruits of the resurrection body, which means it is healed in Jesus' name. But what happens inside me? That's something I can give to other people that's going to last for eternity. That's why we ought to walk in the promises of God. They just come. There's always Philippians 1.21, but uh, now it's Lamentations 3.24. And uh, I'll finish off with this scripture. It's, if you want to turn to Lamentations, it's just after the book of... Jeremiah. Now, I don't put my hope in the promises. They're just benefits. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good <laughs> to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I don't need to let anything overcome me. Because it hasn't. Uh, Jesus has overcome the world. He lives inside us. So our faith has overcome the world. Let's apply faith to these other, other things that try and get in the way. You know when, his name, the guy that got swallowed by the fish, 
Jonah. I keep thinking his name's Noah. And I just didn't want to say Noah. Jonah. You know when he got swallowed by the fish, like it's pitch black in there. And he called his situation a lying vanity. And thanked God for his deliverance. Which hadn't happened yet. And then he got spat out onto land. His prayer worked. He's inside a fish and called it a lying vanity. Your situation is nothing but a lying vanity. I don't care how real it feels, your faith trumps your senses. Jesus is the real reality. And Christ-likeness is the real prize, not the promises. So, whatever is happening in your life, Thank God for his victory. Claim the promises of God. Thank him for it no matter what. And now you know that you can and you can do it consistently because you know he has to keep his word. But allow what's inside you to become like Jesus more. Let your faith grow in maturity above all else because that's the only thing you're going to bring before God when you die. And you want that heavenly robe to fit. You want to be... Sure, you can read 2 Corinthians 5 for that context, but that's the most important thing. Let's, let's pray. Um, I think God has given many of us in here promises, and sometimes we've said, when's it going to happen? Uh, is it really going to happen? Did you lie to me? Uh, we should get straight with God right now and come back to basics and say, look, you don't change. And thank you that you've done it. And I'm going to keep thanking you until I see it take place. And if you want to come out the front for prayer, you, you can do that as well. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, what a privilege to become like you. First of all, God, we thank you for the promise of salvation. Uh, there's nothing <laughs> that compares to a relationship with you. Lord, our relationship with you never changes. We're always a child of God, but our fellowship with you can just keep getting better and better. We want to know you. That's the most important thing. We want to know who you are. We want to know how much you love us, and we want to love you more. Make us hungry for you. Would you stir our hearts, God? We thank you that you have given us a new heart and a new mind. That's a promise you have given us. We thank you for every other promise that you have spoken to us and we thank you for the promises that you've spoken to us personally. And Lord, we repent right now for questioning your, your mercy. Your mercies that in you every morning. We're so sorry for questioning you. We're so sorry for saying when. And Lord, they're, they're human things and, and those doubts are going to come. We know that, God, but we know that we don't need to persist in unbelief. And that you're working something amazing in us and making us like your son, Jesus. We surrender all those doubts to you and we choose to trust in you. We choose to trust in the things you've said. We choose to acknowledge your will for our lives and your will for humanity. Your will for your glory. Change us and humble us, Lord God.
and help us to walk in the promises of God. We thank you that you have given them and that they are dispersed to us because of the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you so much, God. Challenge our faith and increase us. In Jesus' name, amen.